Long Beach Sermons, visit us at citychurchlongbeach.org. Good job without the lyrics. Oh, wow. That was awesome. Go ahead and have a seat. There are those like those moments, right, where you just feel like we were always living in this God-saturated reality, but music, awesome musicians like these, it just feels like it gets peeled back a little bit for us to see more clearly. So grateful for this awesome team. And um, yeah, and we are grateful for the projector that will work next week, most likely, right? It's all good. We can have church without a projector. Um, now, we'll see. I'm not used to my notes blowing away like when we did church outside for that season. Oh, I'm going to steal a clip. Um, hi, everyone. Uh, if I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, my name is Brenna Rubio, and I'm one of the co-pastors here at City Church of Long Beach, where we are a radically welcoming community on the journey towards Jesus, joining him in the renewal of all things. We are so excited that you are all here today. Um, all of you braved the cold and the wind. I want everybody to feel at home. So if it starts feeling too cold in here, it's possible the heater turned off. So especially those of you who've been around a while, feel free to go over to that box. You know, at any point, yeah, Bill's gonna, Bill's gonna take care of it right now. Yeah, <laughs> we'll put, crank that thing up as high as it can go, right? Um, also, a special welcome to our friends on Zoom. Thanks for, for joining us here. Uh, we actually don't have anybody on the patio right now, but we usually try to keep it open just in case. Um, yeah, maybe it's a good day for closing the patio door since no one's out there. Um, yeah, we're just... We're excited to be here together. It feels like kind of even here, that little bit of that fresh start, like here this morning before you all arrived, the team was here and we were, we were cleaning up from Christmas, like lots of us are in our apartments and our houses, right? Um, sort of like, oh, what stuff did we forget is here and we need to throw out some things. And so it just feels like that, that nice, fresh energy as we're leaning in. We're starting a new sermon series. So, so glad that we all get to be here and do that together. Uh, before we start leaning into that new sermon series this morning, we want to take a time to pray over our kids because we think they're awesome. And then any of the kids who would like to will be invited after that prayer to go out with their leaders for stories and crafts and games and all that good stuff. Um, so I think our friend Charmaine was going to pray for the kids today. Hey, would you welcome up Charmaine with me? Thanks, Charmaine. Happy New Year. Yep. Oh, hold it right there. Dear God, thanks so much for our kids. Uh, may they grow in your love and bless the week ahead and bless their time in Kidsmen. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Kids, if you want to come over to the door over here to go out with Charmaine and Katie and Paul and Emma, all the fun people, we hope you have a great great time. Um, and I think Bill is going to be coming up here in just a moment. Our, our other co-pastor, Bill White, um, will be joining me. You um, yeah, want to say hi to Bill? I'm sure he greeted all of you. I'm sure he already <laughs> greeted you. But yeah, there you go. <laughs> so today we are learn leaning into a new sermon series called Freeing Jesus. And uh, as I was prepping for it, I thought of this old quote that I imagine many of you have heard before, but it was when Gandhi was asked about his opinion 
of Christianity and his opinion of Jesus. And he said, I like your Christ. I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so different from your Christ. And I think for a lot of us, even if we are those Christians, at some gut level, we know what Gandhi was talking about, right? That there is this gap sometimes between the, the Jesus that we, we meet in Scripture, the Jesus who we've even perhaps met personally in our lives, that we feel a sense of connection with, and the Jesus that we are sometimes taught. And the things that are taught, the beliefs and the value systems, and just the systems, the structures that are built up in this Jesus' name, that it can just feel so incredibly different. And so it seems like as a church that says that we're, we're Jesus-centered, that we want to be on the journey towards Jesus together, it would probably be good at the beginning of a fresh new year to spend a little time once again to think about, like, who is Jesus really and who is he not? Where has our picture of Jesus been distorted at times? Um, where, where has it been manipulated um, for other people's ends? And I do want to say, as we start this, though, that we need to come into it with some humility, right? Because everybody has a filter. Everybody has a perspective. We all miss things. We all... Um, we can convince ourselves of stuff pretty, pretty easily, right? Like, so how do we say, well, we want to see the real Jesus, right? The Jesus of Scripture, and somehow we're going to get it right in a way that nobody else ever has, right? Because we're just, we're so pure that way, so wise. We're, we are that good. <laughs> so it's probably, like, as we go through this, we're probably going to be wanting to test ourselves. You know, like, where are we missing it? Where are we missing it even just in, in ways that perhaps we're being puffed up in how we talk about it? Um, there's a, some of you may have heard this quote as well from Anne Lamott, who's a, a brilliant spiritual writer. She says, you can safely assume you've created God in your own image when it turns out that God hates all the same people you do. Right? So, so maybe that might be one of our tests, right, as we're going through this. That if it sounds like we hate people, and we think Jesus hates people. We might, we might be um, kind of falling into the same trap that we're trying to dig ourselves out of just in a different direction, right? We might need to test ourselves. Are we speaking with humility? Are we speaking with charity, with grace, with love? Are we believing the best? Um, are we willing to be sad, perhaps, even more than we are angry? But... The overall question that we want to lean into is this, what would it look like to free Jesus? What would it look like to peel back some of these layers? And, and how would following a Jesus who is uncaged really change how we live? And so today, we're going to start out by actually noticing how Jesus himself articulated and saw a difference between who he was and the religious traditions of the day through how he visualized 
the good life, the spiritual life, a life connected with God, and how it was being presented by religion, by religious institutions. And there really are, um, there, there's quite a difference that we're gonna get to notice and to talk about um, together. And so I think we are, who are we inviting That's up to read scripture? Liz Roy. Liz Roy, would you come Welcome, and Liz. read scripture for us? Oh. Yes, thank you for welcoming her. Oh, Bill's got you. Here, let's try this one. <laughs> he was faster on the draw. All right. Uh, Mark 7, starting at verse 6. He replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. You have to let go of the commands of God and are you have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. And he continued, you have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. For Moses said, honor your father and mother and anyone who curses their mother or father is to be put to death. But you say, if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father or mother is Corbin, that is devoted to God, then you no longer let them do anything for their father or mother. Thus you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. And you do many things like that. People of God, this is the word of God. Thanks, Thanks be to God. God. Thank you, Liz. Thanks, Liz. Oh, there's some good stuff in this passage. Um, but he, he starts off, there are going to be kind of two main pieces here. He starts off talking about how people like us, people who would show up at a religious gathering on a you know, designated time, like a Sunday morning, that we, and this is in verse, uh, verse 6, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And it's this, this idea that we, we come, we gather, we sing, and we say things, but where's our heart? And is, is our heart in it? And I, it's not like Jesus is saying, okay, you shouldn't sing songs until like you're 100% pure. Like there would be no music ever anywhere, right? I mean, it, it, no, that's not what he's saying. But he's saying what, what, what he wants is, he wants our lives to, to match up. So what we say on the outside matches up as much as possible with what's on the inside so that we're congruent, right? So, so the outside and the inside actually are the same. And there's this grave temptation for you and for me to talk a good game. To talk about, you know, how God loves everyone, but we really don't like people who vote differently than we do. Hmm. And we actually cut them out of our lives. Right? We, we, we talk a good game about like, hey, we believe in justice uh, for, you know, people who, you know, X, Y, Z, fill in the, fill in the blank, you know, who are socioeconomically disadvantaged. But what do we do with our money? Mm-hmm. Are, are we investing it in ways and are we spending it in ways that, that are they're just and right? And this, Jesus is pointing this out and there's this, there's the tension, right, between what we say and what we do. What we say we believe, what we actually believe. Um, and I, th- I just think, 
this is you and me. And if we can't own this, uh, we, we probably don't come to church the next few weeks because it's going to feel like it's everyone else's problem, <laughs> which is not what we want. This, is, this is for us. This is our journey that we get to go on. Mm-hmm. I was thinking about it this morning. I was thinking about a conversation, one of, the, one of those crucial, you know those conversations that you may not, at, at the moment, you think it was really annoying and embarrassing and terrible and you really don't like this person? But for decades afterwards, you think about that conversation and you realize it probably changed your life. Mm. So I had a boss. Uh, I was 24. I was newly married. I was living in San Diego and I was working in college ministry. And I had this boss and he was old and wise. And he had one, he had this, this superpower where he could see what was actually going on in your, in your heart and soul, which is terrible if you're 24. This is, you don't want people like that. Like, you have no idea. I had no idea. I'm like, who I, I have no idea who I am. And this guy, his name was Chris. Boy, he, he, was, he was a gracious, generous supervisor. And I was not a gracious and, gen, and generous employee. Um, it was, I mean, it was that point in my life, I had a lot of answers. I mean, I was pretty smart. Back then. (laughs) (laughs) What what does that mean? (laughs) Um, I mean, I had a lot of answers. And and Chris knew this. There was one staff meeting where he was like, hey, let's all check in. Pick one word to describe yourself. And I picked the word, like, confident. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, so he invited me out. He said, let's take a walk on the beach, you and me. And we'll just have a nice long conversation. And, and what he said to me, I, I have a terrible memory. I write things down in my journal because I have such a bad memory, but I can't forget this one. I wish I could, but I can't. He said, Bill, you know, um, the internal life of a person is like a rainbow. There's so many different colors going on there. But have you ever noticed that you just have one color and it's red? Wow. Like you have a lot of anger in your life. I was like, I have the joy of the Lord. <laughs> right? I mean, again, I had the answer. I'm like, what are you talking about? I had no idea. But if you happen to have asked my wife then, or maybe even now, I suppose, she might be able to say, wow, there's a lot of red on the inside. And, you know, this is before several stints of therapy. Um, and you're like, I just, I remembered that I presented on the outside. I mean, I was a religious worker and I presented this, you know, like I'm happy and there was so much anger in me, primarily because I was covering over some sadness. You know, I, at that point I wasn't even aware my dad was an alcoholic and had been my whole life. You know, none of that had been named, all these things. I mean, there were reasons why. Yeah why we are defended and why we present one version. Mm-hmm. And it's not, sometimes it's because people are being actively deceptive, right? But so many times it's simply because we don't know ourselves and we're terrified to know ourselves. Mm-hmm. Because, because we don't know God as well as we think. And we're really kind of uncertain about some of our moral choices. And we're kind of insecure about 
who we are. We haven't, we're not truly grounded in the image of God. And all these things, are, that's, what's the, that's what the inside, and so on the outside, we just look like this. <laughs> you know, we don't, we don't want to match up the inside and the outside because we know it's going to look ugly. And that's exactly what Jesus is inviting us into this journey. Hmm. Yeah, I love that story of your boss and how he really just took it to like, oh. like, I don't know, because I imagine there were all sorts of things he could have like touched on, like places like, you know, specific of like, you know, let's try and edit your language or, you know, you could do, but instead he kind of, he went right to the core, right? Like, it's not just, it's not just manage your behavior, no. right? But like, let's, let's talk about what's going on inside of you. And yeah. it sounds like in a really caring Oh, way. very gracious yeah. I mean, he should have fired me, honestly, <laughs> but he didn't. Uh, but it feels like in some ways that's what Jesus is trying to do here, too, with these religious leaders. I mean, yes, he's being blunt, but there is this point where in some ways I hear him saying, like, you're not even doing it as well as you think you are, right? I mean, because, yes, you're saying all these things, but I can see you're not convincing me. You're not fooling me. I know what's going on at the heart. And the heart is actually what matters. That's actually the second tension that I really see playing out in this particular passage is this tension between what is at the heart of religion, what we might call true religion, versus all of these other things that we do, that we start building on top of it, that might be helpful for a season, but eventually aren't, eventually aren't, eventually actually become at the best a distraction and at the worst actually damaging, right? So one of the things that we, we see as we look at this story is, yeah, Jesus isn't anti-religion. He's not anti some, some core of spirituality and even, even things like scripture that you would sort of anchor yourself in and say like, this, this is something that I'm holding on to. This is something that, that I'm looking to for some sort of, of guidance, some sort of help. He's not, he's not necessarily anti these things, right? Like he's actually pointing them back to their history and their scripture saying, hey, remember in the 10 commandments, Moses says this, he says, honor your father and your mother. Now, even that word honor, though, let's play with that just a little bit, because there are ways that we could make that very practical, and here's the list of rules. Here's exactly what it looks like to honor your parents. You need to do X, Y, and Z. Checklist, right? Checklist spirituality is super tempting. Super tempting, because it just makes it so easy. You can just turn your brain off, right? Like, did I do it? Did I hit it? Did I call mom on Mother's Day? right? Something like that. It's just like, boom, if I check off the checklist, I must be good. God and I must be all right. And again, that's very external. But that word honor can also be very much about the heart, right? It can be very much about what is my, my attitude, my posture? What is going on inside of me? What am I cultivating that sure, will play itself out in some particular ways. And so Jesus has this criticism of them where he says, hey, you've let go 
of the commands of God and you're holding on to human traditions. And what I hear him saying there is you're forgetting the ultimate why, the spirit of the thing. You're forgetting what's timeless and just about who God is and who you are and what it looks like to live in wholeness, to live in connection. And instead, you're just, you're just getting distracted with a bunch of rules, with that checklist. And again, these checklist things, maybe they made sense. Maybe they were, they developed out of something that in a particular time and a place for that person, it connected with their heart and it helped them. It formed them in the way they wanted to be formed. But something's been lost along the way. And now the thing's just a thing, just a distraction or even a distortion. So, so Jesus uses a particular word here, sort of a code word in the first century that people there would have understood, this word Corban, C-O-R-B-A-N, Corban. Um, and we're going to unpack that for a second because uh, it had a particular use in that day and age, and we want to think about how it impacts us today uh, because it's the same theme about being religious without getting to the purpose. You know, missing the point. And so this is what he says in the, again, these are some of the verses that Liz had read for us, but in Mark 7, verses 11 and 12, you say that if anyone declares what might have been used for their father or mother as Corbin, that is devoted to God, then you no longer let them do anything for their father or mother. And so this idea of Corbin was for the religious folks, they would say, hey, I'm going to dedicate my car to God or this portion of my income to God. And it was really a beautiful way for people to say, um, look, I really am committed. Like, you know, my, my home has an extra bedroom. And I, like, I, I know folks from City Church who've done this. So they say, we've got an extra bedroom and that's for guests. And if someone, you know, if there's a pregnant mom who needs a place to stay or someone who got kicked out of their house because they just came out or whatever it is, you know, that's what it is. It's Corbin, right? Um, the challenge is that that can get misused mm -hmm. because your in-laws are coming to town and you're like, I'm so sorry. We, I dedicated that, that room to the Lord, <laughs> uh, you know, and literally, that's, that's what's what going on here, right? It's the, the, the religious folks are, are saying that sort of thing. Like, um, you know, I've kind of dedicated, a, you know, uh, my future finances to, to the Lord, so I'm, I'm not going to be able to pay for you when you get old and sick and, you know, that, that sort of thing. And it's this idea of, of missing the purpose of being religious. Mm-hmm. Right? Of setting aside the guest room in your house, but not for your in-laws. Right? <laughs> like, and I don't think it's really for the Lord. I think that's for you. And it's a nice, convenient uh, masquerade to pretend it's for God. Right? This is what we do. And so I want to, I, I, actually, I'm kind of curious to see how many people here would say you're, the family that you grew up in was very religious. So I'm, I'm just curious. So how many would say, okay, so about a third, 
it could be a half of our folks, their, their families were very religious. And so this might be particularly for you, but others, I bet you can relate to it. That the way I see this most is in very religious families. Like say you're a pastor. Sometimes every now and then it could happen in a pastor's family. Where the kids grow up and later in life they say, yeah, my parents were really involved in church. They gave all their money and all their time to church, but they didn't give it to me. Mm -hmm. Right? They were sort of left out mm -hmm. because the parents were so involved. Or maybe there's another loved one uh, in your family who's, who's like that. I remember because I was so dedicated to the Lord in college, I came home and I told my parents we needed to have a meeting because they wow. needed to know they were going to hell. Ow. It wasn't as helpful of a conversation for them, they reported later. Um, but it's like, you know, I, there was this set way of doing things that I, I sort of like, if I check off that box and I'll be like, that's, that's what God does, as opposed to like mm -hmm. actually loving people loving our families, you know, like Katie and I, we had lots of conversations about this. Um, we had someone offer to send our kids to one of the local Christian uh, day schools, uh, private school, all tuition paid, a very generous offer. And Katie and I talked about it and processed and we realized our kids are gonna have enough issues growing up in a religious home like adding a religious school on top of that? Like, that's just death. So we actually said no. And I think our kids are really grateful for that, you know? But I mean, it's like, how religious can you be? And when does that actually hurt other people? Like, these, these are the questions. And this is for us right now. Like, what are the things that you say to your coworkers or to your family members? What are the things that we, how are we doing this in ways that actually aren't, really honoring God because the, the, the religious people here that Jesus is speaking to about Korban are trying to like be more explicitly religious. And Jesus is saying, no, don't use that money for God. Use it for God by caring for your family. Don't give it to the church. If you have a family member who doesn't have housing, well, help them pay for their housing. Don't give it to city church. Like that, that's, on, that's at the core, that's what yeah. you're talking about, right? Yeah, well, and again, cause it's, it's helping to say, or it's playing out just the idea of like, the summa, I would give it to the church versus the person who I love, who's right here in front of me, that somehow this area is where the holy and the spiritual is. And then we think this area isn't, right? These, these tensions and these dualities, that we're constantly playing out in that too often institutionalized religion, we can, we can live into that. So there's this, this quote that I love, because where it leaves us, I think, is in this place of, okay, we hear that, how do we, how do we get back to the heart, right? How do we actually sort out what is at the core of things? What is true religion? And what's all that other stuff that is a distraction or a distortion? 
And so there's a quote from um, a wonderful pastor, Reverend Jacqueline Lewis, talking about true religion. And she says that true religion is real and holds together the good and the bad of human experience. It provides a way to manage the both and nature of life. Already we're hearing, right, this is much more complicated than a simple checklist, right? True religion actually leads us into the ambiguities and the complexities and, and kind of gives us a space, almost a, a safe container to look at them, to be honest about them. She says, true religion helps us proclaim that even in the midst of the ambiguities of life, God is with us. God is with us here where it's complicated and messy and it's not as simple as a list of shoulds and should nots. So practically speaking, I think a big part of this is starting to ask some why questions. So this is apparently my day for telling, you know, old stories that some of you may have heard before. Um, it's an old story, some version of it. You might not have heard this version before. There's a guy who always cooks Christmas dinner for his family. And one day his husband comes, kind of leaning against the counter as he's preparing the Christmas ham, and he watches him like slice off the ends on each side of the ham and carefully put it in the pan. And he says, why do you do that? Why do you slice off the ends of the ham? The husband says, I, I don't know. That's just the way my, my mom taught me to cook it. But it kind of sticks in his head. And so the next time he's talking with his mom on the phone, he says, Mom, you know, I'm just curious. Like, why do we cut off the ends of the ham? And mom says, I don't know. That's the way grandma taught me to cook it. <laughs> and so grandma's still alive. So the next time mom's on the phone with grandma, says, hey, you know, you know how we make the Christmas ham? Why do we cut off the ends? And grandma says, well, that was the only way to get it to fit my pan. <laughs> way back when, right? It made sense for grandma. It completely doesn't make sense. If we asked the why question, my pan's different. Yeah, my get, a, get a bigger pan. I got a bigger pan. <laughs> yeah. My context is different. The why is that we want to feed people, right? The why is we're showing our love by the baking of the ham. Has nothing to do with whether the ends are on or off. What's our why for why we're doing things? Is it leading us towards wholeness? Does it help us follow Jesus? Does it help us love people? Or is it just something we picked up along the way? And there are so many things we can put to that test, right, that the why makes a big difference. You know, one of our core values, we tell you all the time, and you know, if you're new around City Church and we see you three or four Sundays in a row, we're gonna say, hey, awesome, amazing, we're so surprised we haven't scared you off yet. Um, and you know you don't have to come every week, right? We're happy to have you here, but it actually matters to us why you're coming. Because if your why is feeling like God's going to be mad at you or we're going to be mad at you, we're going to shame you if you don't come, 
it might actually be better for your heart and your relationship with God to experience the joy of playing hooky and going to the beach. <laughs> right? To know that you don't actually have to live in that shame. That nobody's going to be mad. That you are still good and loved and whole. Um, that might be good for you. And there are other people who are thinking, man, I'm, I'm gonna, I want to get to know this church. I want to get to know some people. And I want to try to come consistently because that's going to be the best way for me to meet some people or whatever the reason is. And then it's not a should, right? It's, there, is, there is something leading you forward into that practice of coming to church. The why is good. The why is whole. It matters what our why is. Um, so we're going to bring up a local expert to uh, address this situation who understands <laughs> this from the inside out. Kevin Robbins, would you welcome our friend Kevin? Come on down. Kevin has, usually is on Zoom. He's our Zoom host, and he puts the little things in the thing. So say hi to all your friends on Zoom. Hello. <laughs> yeah, I have to hold this up. Yeah, I'm re really nervous here. Yeah. yeah. Kevin loves I, speaking in public. Uh, I actually thought if I tripped over the top step, I could hit my head on the piano and have to take <laughs> actually, urgent He actually had, he's not joking, he actually had that thought. That was a real thought, I'm sure. Um, so, Kevin, how long have you been around City Church? Why, why are you here? Like, just some of the basic intro stuff so we know you. Well, I looked it up. It was 2016. Oh, wow. I remembered something I posted on Facebook, and so I looked it up, and it was 2016. Wow. So right. I guess it's been almost eight years. All right, all right. And why did, why did you come? And, well, I knew you before, as mm -hmm. you know, uh, from another church, and I stopped going to that other church, and then... Uh, I had, my youngest daughter was in high school, and she came out as gay, and I quite didn't really know what to do with that, and so, but I did know one thing. I wanted her to know about Christ, and I didn't know where she was going to hear about that unless I found some place that expressed that and allowed you to be who you were. So, mm. I started coming here. All right, well, there you go. All right. Um, yeah. So, a while back, yeah, <laughs> we appreciate you, Kevin. Um, a while back, you mentioned to Brenda Rubio, you said, uh, well, you've been, yeah, I think it's, it's common knowledge to anyone who knows you that you've been around the recovery groups for yep. a few decades. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, you mentioned to Brenda Rubio, like, I kind of wish churches were more like recovery groups. And why, or tell us a little bit about yeah. that. Like, do you remember that conversation? And why, yeah. like, why, 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 why is that? Well, it came from kind of a thought that I had a long time ago. And I, I don't remember, like, thoughts from a long time ago very often. But this one just stuck in my head. And I, I've uh, had issues with alcohol and drugs my whole life. And uh, uh, many years ago, I was getting sober and I was attending AA. And I was at a meeting one time, and uh, I just looked around the room, and I just saw every kind of person there. It was every race, uh, people dressed in, it was in the late 80s, so there's people, men in three-piece suits, and women in dresses, and 
people dressed casually and there was a couple of homeless people and people off the street and it was just everybody. And I just thought to myself, this is about as close to church as I'm ever gonna get. Mm. And I was brought up in uh, a Presbyterian church and my, when I was in seventh grade, my mom told me, if you don't wanna go to church anymore, you don't have to. Mm. And <laughs> I never went to church again until I was over 50. And, uh, mm -hmm. But I did go to 12-step groups in AA, AA, so I just thought that was kind of like church mm -hmm. to me because of the people there. So. Mm -hmm. Now, although you look 50, you're not. No. Uh, 75. <laughs> Kevin is 75. Yeah. He actually had a co-worker recently say, uh, are you in your 40s? Yeah. Bam! Anyway, great yeah, moment. You're a keeper, dude. <laughs> <laughs> um, but so in your 50s, you started, you got more religious. Yeah. And, and so as a religious person, and yet still in AA, like, did you feel some tension? Like, how could you, like, what did, what did you do with that? Yeah. Like, how? Well, I went to the church you preached at, so. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> and, uh, but, uh, Sorry about that, buddy. I, you know something? I think many of us have gone through this epistemy. I can't think of what the word is, but um, I just, I don't know. I felt pulled by a lot of stuff. I didn't see reality that I saw in the outside world when I walked through the doors of the church. And yet, in some respects, I felt like I fit in. I, I don't know. I always felt like the church was full of hypocrites, so I kind of dipped it in there in a way, because I was one. So um, I think somewhere along the line, and maybe because of AA or something, I just felt like it seems like the older I get, and this is an AA expression too, uh, the, the more I know, uh, I feel like the less I really know, you know, mm -hmm. and uh, or the more I learn, maybe the less I know. I'm not sure how to explain it, but it seems like as time goes on, I feel like um, I just don't know as much as I thought I used to know, it seems. And you know, we were talking about this earlier this week and what's weird is I went to a, because there's no coincidences, you know that, but I went to a 12-step group Friday night that's Christian-based and one of the scriptures they talked about was, uh, blessed is the person who realizes they are spiritually poor. Mm -hmm. And I thought, yeah. You know, that's how that works. And so, mm. some, and, then, and then later I'm going to go, yeah, but it doesn't really work that way. You know, <laughs> yeah, sure. But, yeah, yeah. Like the rest of us. Uh, um, so would you say that even, I mean, you're 75 and you're, you know, you're a really great Christian. Um, do you still <laughs> learn things? <laughs> I don't know about that. But. Um, one of the things that I love about City Church is that, and um, what did you say? Am I still learning? Yeah. Yeah. I I'm, think I'm still learning. I hope I'm still learning. I hope I never stop learning. And um, I don't know. What was the You, you seem like you might be more open-minded than you used to be. Is that I, Would you say that? Maybe. Yeah. I know that there's still a lot of stuff that I don't know. Uh, I'm glad that I came here and... Uh, my my attitude and thinking about inclusiveness and who people are and what they are uh, 
just doesn't have the kind of impact on me that it did before. I hope that I am getting to be or am moving towards that vision that we hear all the time. We hear it every time we start uh, this church, which was being on this journey with Jesus. Because I, you know, I I may not like stuff that other people do, but I think Jesus commanded me to love them no matter what. So that's kind of the direction I hope I'm going. Mm. Which so. is amazing, right? You're actually, I mean, I knew you as a Calvinist. Yeah. The Calvinist era. Very reformed. Yeah. Yeah, it was. Totally reformed. A lot of certitude. Yeah. A lot of. A lot of certitude. A, a lot, lot of certainty. certitude. They had a lot of certainty. Yeah. I knew a lot back in the day. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Kind of like young Bill. Right? <laughs> I mean, there, is, there are some certain similarities. I taught Sunday school. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so did I. It was not good. Um, but I feel sorry for those people. I know. So do I. I so do I. They're on their own journey. So. Yeah. I just, I, but I just appreciate you, Kevin, that, that you are open. I mean, we've had so many good conversations about what it looks like to love your daughter. And I mean, you remember that first conversation we had at Starbucks yep. and, and we just sat down and you're just like, I don't know what to do with the Bible. I just know I have to love her. And I wasn't taught how to do that with someone who's gay. Mm -hmm. And so what I, and, and we just, we just talked and you're just like, I'm committed. And that, I think that journey has been such a great journey for you. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm, I'm proud of you. I am. So can I finish up with one thing? I, I think probably one thing that's given me that I couldn't understand before I got here was how did Jesus, the most open-minded, all-embracing person who ever lived, how did this religion that's so condemning yeah. come up mm. out of him? Yeah. And yeah. I don't see that here, and that's yeah. why I like it. Yeah, there you go. Uh, um, so do you have a question? We usually... You don't that's have a question. Okay. First of all, thank God. I tried to think of one. I was going to ask you. <laughs> no, Kevin was like, I'm, I'm just trying to make it through this. <laughs> no, that's great. You did great. So, hey. You're awesome. Hey, would you thank God for Kevin Robbins? That was so great. Here, Bill. I'll put it back. Oh. Man. I, I really do just want to say I appreciate you so much, Kevin. Kevin is one of those people who will often catch me at the end of, like, a Sunday and just tell me something, like a new thought he had, a new question he's asking, a new thing he's rethinking. Um, and I just find it inspiring. I find it encouraging. Because isn't that part of the journey? To be that humble for all of us, that, that open to have our ideas tested, our ways of thinking tested. Um, that there's a difference between sort of being smart, right? and being wise, and that it seems like so often true wisdom is actually about admitting how much we don't know, admitting how far, how much more we have to learn. I want to end uh, with a quote by another wonderful pastor and spiritual writer named Barbara Brown Taylor. And I think you might hear some of what we've been talking about, what Kevin shared about in her words the only clear line I draw these days is this. When my religion tries to come between me and my neighbor, I will choose my neighbor. Because Jesus never commanded me to love my religion. Yeah. I want to say it one more time. The only clear line 
I draw these days is this. When my religion tries to come between me and my neighbor, I will choose my neighbor. Jesus never commanded me to love my religion. You don't have to have it all figured out. None of us do. But what are our anchors? What are our one or two clear things that we will come back to and that will ground us as we ask our why questions? Is it leading us towards love? Is it making us more like that, as Kevin said, that radically inclusive, non-judgmental Jesus that we meet in the scripture? The rest of the series, we're going to keep asking these questions. How do we free Jesus and free ourselves in the process?